Canuck Central, hour number two. It is a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Let's get straight into our next guest. It is our insider here on Canuck Central. It's Frank Valley. What's happening, Frank? What's going on? How you doing? Uh, we are uh, We're doing just fine. You know, the, uh, <laughs> the Canucks are... are Giving us a little bit of uh, cookies along the way until we get to uh, draft some season. Some crumbles with the uh, the additions to the player development department. It's just felt like uh, it's been a nonstop, like um, you know, just a total reorganization of the organization by uh, by Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine. Yeah, I mean they're slowly getting there. I think they're still uh, poking around on some other you know, sort of details in the organization, video coach, things like that. I know Thomas Drance has been all over it. Um, the development part is, is actually really interesting, though, because you you heard Patrick Alvine, one of the things he talked about was habits at the end of the year and practice habits. And to get people in place at various levels in the organization from – uh, you know, the minors to your prospects that are developing in junior and around the world to then guys that are going to be around your team with your young players on a regular basis to learn from high quality NHL vets. I think is going to be really important because there's two parts of getting players to the NHL. Yes, you have to draft well, and that's a given. But the other part of it is there's plenty of fine prospects that are drafted that don't get the proper teaching and coaching that they need along the way. It's a, it's a two-part problem and the development part, you know, perhaps the Canucks look at some of the things that have happened and say, we, it's not necessarily the guys that have, you know, been drafted. It's getting them to the NHL and having them be ready once they get there. And so that's certainly uh, towards the top of their priority list. And they've begun checking some of those things off. Well, and you know, the- I think when you start looking at development and you start looking at what the Penguins have done in the past, that the Penguins were considered one of the best, if not the best team in the league at developing players. And I don't think this should be a surprise, but I think a lot of teams don't spend as many resources in this department as you think. Like in Vancouver, this this department, previous to what we're seeing now, Cameron Granato is overseeing it. You have Ryan Johnson, you have the Sedins, Commissarek, and Samuelson and others. Before, it was like a two- or three-man department, and a lot of teams operate that way. I mean, is ultimately, doesn't it come down to having more resources in this situation? Yeah, it's piling as much human capital and also resource capital, financial capital into it. Um, you know, it, it, it's nice to have a big staff to put it all together, but it's another thing to have those guys get out there and get on the road and do the heavy lifting. Um, in order to, to put in the work, you know, you got to like, there's no faking it with development. You got to put in the miles, you got to put in the face time. And a lot of times they're in inconvenient places. You know, it's, it's getting to a guy that's, uh, you know, halfway around the world and getting to him on a regular basis. It's visiting a guy on campus four to five times a year. All those things matter. And the constant sort of contact, it's almost like, um, you know, I, if you think about it from a business perspective in terms of an agency, it's almost like you've got the top agent that is, is the guy that does the deal, or in this case is the management like uh, on the Canucks, but then you've got the handler, the guy that's uh, in constant daily communication with the players that they really get to know and trust along the way. And, and these NHL, former NHL players, and interesting, the Samuelson edition, clearly someone that Patrick Alvin knows well and trusts that, 
they can continue to build that trust factor with the Canucks young players to help get them where they need to get to. Frank Valley, our guest. Um, uh, you know, one thing, uh, we, we talked to Patrick Alvin yesterday after they made the announcements, and um, we asked him, you know, could you go into training camp next year with, with JT Miller and, and Bo Horvat both not having new deals? And uh, he pondered it for a little bit, but then kind of gave the stock answer of, oh, they, you know, they're under contract. So, uh, it, of course, uh, we, we could totally do that. Do you think that's a realistic scenario for the Canucks, or do they at least work out one extension or trade this summer? I would think at least one of them. I mean, it'd be one thing to go into to the season with one of them sort of less pending. But to go with both and to, to have a lot of things in flux, I think is a recipe for not disaster, but it's a recipe for your team to struggle. No one likes things being unsettled. Um, I think it, it can have an impact on your team. And I also think the other part of it is true as well in that if you have guys that are, you know, a lot of guys that are on long-term big money deals, there can also be a sense of complacency that exists that, that creeps into a team that's like, hey, look, we're all getting paid huge money here. Yes, we want to win, but if we don't, there's always next year. And so you want to try and find that balance between keeping guys hungry and also keeping, uh, you know, keeping them a little bit well-fed. At the same time, it's hard to do. It's a fine line to walk. But in just in terms of where this team is heading overall, big picture, 30,000-foot view, it would really be helpful to, to have an idea, as Jim Rutherford said, you know, starting with some of the other guys like Miller – right from the time of the draft to have that locked in and set. Mm -hmm. Because I find, you know, if you start exploring the trade market for JT, and I think if they don't get him signed, I still believe, Frank, that they'll ultimately trade him by the draft if they they don't feel like they can sign him. That just makes so much sense. And looking at where he might end up going, I think as much as we spend time talking about, say, New Jersey, the Rangers potentially, the Leafs came up in the past and all this sort of stuff, I wonder if one of these teams that was just eliminated as they go through their forensics and start figuring out what they want to do, because it's usually a team that's very motivated that would go after a guy like JT. And I wonder if one of the teams recently eliminated or eliminated in the postseason already could be wanting to be aggressive here this offseason. Yeah, I would say I, I think your hunch is right, Sat, that if, if they have a sense, I, I think in order to keep him, you have to have a sense that it's at least in your wheelhouse, that yeah. it's something you can work your way towards that they can find common ground. Sometimes, you know, sort of right out from the the get-go, like we're never going to be close here. We were talking apples and oranges. If that's the case, I would think that there is a trade that materializes by the draft. It's It's the one trading period outside of the deadline that things really happen in the NHL. Um, and so I would say that's a big one. Um, and as far as teams sat that would be motivated, like I'd imagine there's also a few non-playoff teams mm-hmm. that are out there saying, like, how do we really move the needle? How do we get better in a hurry? And I'm sure a few of them have targeted a JT Miller, for instance, to say, hey, this is one guy that we think we could come in right away on a value contract this season, knowing we'd have to pay him and might have an extension worked out quickly to really send your team north in the standings in a, in a quick way. And that's really what the Canucks are going to have to wrestle with is that fine line between all that interest is out there. You, you would know what that 
is telling you that they see JT Miller potentially at a value that you don't, and at least financially. And that's uh, that's going to be really interesting to see the Canucks navigate and manage that. Well, and you know, my question here too is like you start looking at the free agent market, Johnny Goudreau, Nazem Kadri, Philip Forsberg. If you want to put Malkin in that group, you could. Those are the only four really star level fours that are available in free agency. And they'll get picked up pretty quickly. That stuff will get figured out. I mean, as far as high-level players that could be available, elite-level talents, I mean, teams are going to have to look at the trade front. I mean, there's only a few of these guys available in free agency this year. There's not a big group. And there's no guarantee that all those guys that you listed actually make it to market. Yeah. Like, that's the other part of it is that if you really want to get an impact guy, and especially someone that has a, a year left if you're in a financial crunch this year, you have to trade for him. Um, and it just speaks to how incredibly difficult it is to acquire real impact difference maker talent in this league. The teams that have it very rarely let it go. Frank Cervalli, our guest. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking of this from a, from a Rangers fan perspective because you, you go through hockey Twitter and it's like, oh, the Rangers stink. They're only good because of their goalie and they – they, they got to the Final Four because they, they faced a bunch of backups the whole way through against Pittsburgh and, and, and Carolina. And if, I, if I'm a Rangers fan, I'm like, well, that doesn't matter. Screw you. I'm in the Final Four. Like, what, why, why should I care about that? But this, this whole narrative of the Rangers aren't that good, it, it keeps getting harder to sell it now that they're in the Final Four. Well, it's, it's kind of a tired narrative all season, wasn't it? Like, I... I don't want to pat myself on the back first off because my hand isn't that my arm isn't that long enough to reach there. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of when you when you looked at at the path forward and you looked at sort of how the the bracket set up, I was like, in fact, um, an NHL head coach had called me right on the eve of the playoffs, and he's like, I'm I'm watching this Ranger team and the way that they finish, and I'm saying this team has a, a path, a gifted path, right to the conference final. Um, you know, look at the way, you know, Pittsburgh, I don't think anyone would look at that team, even with the veteran talent that they have and say that they're world beaters. The fact that they've gotten so much trouble and down three, one and found a way to work themselves back is, is kind of amazing in and of itself. But Carolina, like you, you look at that team and, and they're the way these playoffs unfolded for them, unfortunate timing for the Ranta injury, Lots of frustration there with Freddie Anderson and, and the way that his injury played out and the fact that he, he never ended up making it back for something that they felt he should have been back in round one. Um, you know, the, the Hurricanes are a team that flew so close to the sun that they finally got burned. You have a 2 yeah. nothing series lead in both the first and second round, a 3-2 series lead in both rounds, and you, you need to go to game seven both times like you're asking for it. And so the Rangers, I don't know if Adam Fox keyed in on, you know, he used the word naive the other day. Maybe they're so young that they sort of, not only are they playing with house money, but maybe didn't recognize the stakes and where they're at. The only unfortunate part of that is that now that you get to the conference final, you go up against the two-time defending champs and the Lightning that play for keeps and are coming off of nine days off. They're probably going to find out in a hurry, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a really tough series for them. And, I, and you know, I... I want to really like their chances because what do they? They have all the makings for a team pulling off an upset. The best goaltender in the league potentially. Him and Vasilevsky make the argument for it. 
And then they have one of the best defensemen in Adam Fox. They have good enough high-end talent that can score as well. The question is, are they do is Shesterkin good enough to make this a six or seven game series? I think he is. Um, because here's the other part of it. The Lightning haven't faced someone to this point yet as good as, as Shesterkin. Um it's really going to be how much can they clean up the neutral zone and clean up, you know, some of the mistakes that they make in their own end. Like Tampa doesn't, you don't get very many freebies from the lightning. And when they see a mistake, they pounce on it. They, you know, very rarely do they let them pass by. And that's going to be something that's a market change from what the Rangers faced in the first two rounds. It was, you know, especially when they were at home for whatever reason, Carolina was dialed right into the way that the Rangers wanted to play. They were willing to trade some chances. Uh, the Rangers got way better looks on special teams. And that, that Penguin series was so wild uh, in terms of, you know, how that played out. Um, you know, the Rangers are going to have to adjust quickly to a totally different style of series. And is it possible that they can, you know, Shesterkin can take them that, that deep? It is. Um, I just don't see it. I don't see the Lightning making that many mistakes to let it last that long. So the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes they went from like perennial uh, you know sleeper team in the regular season, and now it feels like they've been the team that everybody kind of wants to see do well in the playoffs uh, because we just expect them to be there every year. But I don't know. All all the analytics in the world can can tell you that the the, the Carolina Hurricanes can be great. At the same time, like they just lack a bit of a killer instinct. It feels like they 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 just as good as Aho and Svechnikov are. You know, the more I watch that series, I, I started agreeing with my co-host here that they just don't have a, an elite finisher really on, on on the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I think to your point, the knock on the Hurricanes for a while has been they're missing the superstar. And they're missing the killer. And, and I think that's true. Um, I also think that a bit of the shine has now worn off. Like, mm. this is a team that had gotten to the conference final a few years ago. They've taken a few steps backwards. They won their division this year. They sort of weren't playing well at the, you know, the right time in the last two, three weeks of the season. And now they've got some questions to answer. You know, how do you find that, that finisher? How do you... You know, how do you potentially pay Tony D'Angelo? You're probably going to lose Vincent Trocheck. And, and the nice thing about the Canes in their front office is they're willing to shake it up. They're willing to try new things. I also felt like for as consistent as their forecheck was throughout the year and, and how difficult they were to play against at times and use their speed, they just, perhaps this is an unfair characteristic, and if it is, you know, tell me, they feel a little meek when watching them. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Because I find and that's that not like their coach. That's that's Meek is is not in Rod Brindamore's vocabulary. So to see push come to shove, and and they don't have it on home ice, um, it's kind of a little bit jarring and surprising. No, I'm with you. I mean, that's a team that works hard. They forecheck hard, but once they get punched in the mouth, they don't really answer back. And that's kind of a, a bit of an issue for that team, I think. I, I, we did. I did want to ask you about uh, Johnny Goudreau and the Flames here before uh, we let you go because. This is the one that is super fascinating because Johnny is saying all the right things about wanting to stay potentially and making a decision, taking his time. But is is it is the allure of Philly 
ultimately going to be too strong? Has anyone ever said that before? Yeah, I mean, hey. <laughs> the allure of, is the allure of Philly too much? Like, the scent wafting off the of Delaware, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bringing everyone to town. Um, and I can say that because I, I'm yes. born and raised and I've never ventured very far. Um, but I don't know that it's Philly. All I know is that it feels to me like if, if he was going to stay – and I know that he had been really clear with the, the Flames the whole time in that I don't want to talk contract during the season. Either we get it done before the season starts or we wait until after. And I'm sure the Flames are ready to roll and they want to try and get an answer as soon as they can. For me, I, I feel like if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. Mm-hmm. And that's just my gut. He said all the right things, though. And the team, you know, I was really wondering if the way that this playoffs rolled out would shape his decision-making process. Like, if you get to the conference final and you go deep and you're knocking on the door of a Stanley Cup in Calgary, do you sign up again just because you know how close you are and the opportunity you have? With the way that it ended, five games quick to a, a, an Oiler team that many many people see as inferior to the Flames in terms of depth and, and, and roster construction, do you just kind of say, you know what, you know, not only do the Flames have to pay market value and not a penny less, on top of that, is there another team out there that is a better lifestyle fit for me, to your point with Philly, has a better chance to win the Cups, you know, maybe somewhere else? Um, he's only going to get one crack at this, and he's, you know, a wealthy man already. But with the season he's had, he's going to be that much more wealthy. It kind of feels like Tavares all over again, you know, saying all the right things and then, you know, <laughs> not signing with you, New York. So see you later. Uh, Frank, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. Take care. Uh, there is uh, Frank Saravalli joining us here on uh, Canuck Central. Yeah, I mean, the Johnny Goudreau stuff because... It's always the Johns, apparently. <laughs> apparently that, it uh, is. End up leaving in free agency. It is, the Johns. Johns, <laughs> you just well, can't take it. Look... Any reasonable human being, you're this close to at least getting to the courting period where yeah. other teams are allowed to talk to you. Like, why why wouldn't you get there and at least listen to what other teams have to offer, what their plan is, what their, you know, how, they, listen, yeah. how they view the next two, three, four years going. Like, that's, that's what teams are selling you on, not just the money, because the money's going to be... You know, pretty much the same almost anywhere Johnny goes. Well, and, you know, we have seen, you know, players in Orlando Scog last year was a big one. Yeah. And he ended up going back to Colorado, but, you know, it got to the last minute there and even teams were preparing offers. And I think, I think that he was left uh, available during a courting period and teams reached out to him and then he ended up yeah. signing on, you know, right, right before at free agency when it opened. But... However, typically when a guy gets there and starts thinking about leaving, they're leaving. Yeah. That's what happens. Yes. You have seen Landis Cox stay. You've seen Stamco stay after listening, but you saw it with John Tavares. You saw it with Panarin. You saw it with the other guys. I mean, big guys get the free agency and start yeah. listening. Usually they're gone. Brad Richards, I remember there was a big. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Teams met with him. Teams were like lining up over at Newport to to, to talk to Brad Richards. Yeah, and, and the Dallas Stars signed him. Rolling out the red carpet for him and like yeah. all of these presentations and everything else. It's like, it's Brad Richards, guys. Come on. But he won a cup. Like Brad Richards was good. He was really good. He won that con Smythe with Tampa, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was. I mean, you know, for a guy who was, what, a second round pick? Third round pick. Yeah. In 1998. Pretty, pretty. 
Uh, he was one of the uh, more underrated playmakers uh, in the league for a while. He kind of stunk for a bit after signing that big deal, but then uh, figured it out later on. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, he signed as a free agent in 2014. He's traded to uh, Dallas from Tampa. And then I remember yeah. a lot of teams trying to trade for him yes. from um, from Dallas, including your Vancouver Canucks at mm. one point. They're trying to trade from when he was available from Tampa. And uh, so the story goes that... Ooh, story time with Sad. I always like these. So when... Uh, Yesterday, you really got Canucks Twitter <laughs> fired up with the scouts showing up at the same place. Yeah, well, three different <laughs> rental cars too. <laughs> That's a hoot. Now, listen, we're we're talking about uh, efficiency. What, this is this is before this is even before this. This is the old regime, even before even before Mike Gillis's time. Dave Nonis was a GM. Okay, and this was the o six o seven season. The Canucks were coming off the o five. Uh, no, sorry, o seven o eight season. O seven o eight season. And the Canucks were trying to be a playoff team that year. They had a bunch of injuries late and ultimately missed it. But uh, they were in talks with the Dallas Stars. And the reports at the time were that the Dallas Stars wanted Ryan Kessler, Corey Schneider, and a pick. Wow. And this is before Kessler became the player he is. And this is before Schneider started playing games. But a well-thought-of prospect, Mm -hmm. Corey Schneider. And Ryan Kessler that year, I I think, scored 20 goals and was, you know, taking that step and becoming a good player. Canucks ultimately didn't make that trade. Notice didn't think that trade was good. Now, conflicting reports, but some believe... That uh, the owner at the time was not happy the trade didn't happen. And that was one of the reasons why Dave Nonis didn't come back. But in hindsight, not making that trade was the best thing the Canucks could have done. Could you imagine those three pieces going to, to the Tampa Bay Lightning at the time? And ultimately, he got traded for uh, Johan Holmquist, Jeff Halpern, Mike Smith, UC Jokinen, and a fourth-round pick. Yikes. <laughs> but at the time, Mike Smith was a good young goalie. At yeah. the time, UC Jokinen was a good, talented player, and Jeff Halpin was considered a good two-way. But what it was it? A volume type of trade. Yeah. And the Canucks had to go futures, and they had to trade a good young player in Kessler. But the, but they ultimately said no. Do you have the peak of that Canucks roster with Brad Richards and not Ryan Kessler? No, especially with the contract that um, Brad Richards was on. Yeah. I think he was making $7 million at the time. Mm-hmm. So you probably aren't able to re-sign the Sedins or no. something. Now, listen, you know, like it would have like completely. This is the butterfly effect. You you completely change Canucks history if 100%. you make this trade. Well, not only that, but if and now there are conflicting also ideas of what Nonus was going to do that off season. There was some thought that he would have been open to trading the Sedins for Ole Jokinen. Now, I don't think that was true or not, but there was some talk that if Nonis had stayed, he was going to do some major-ish. Yeah. And then he got fired and, and Mike <laughs> Gillis came in. I mean, I was wondering, in a parallel universe, yeah. if Nonis had stayed, what would have happened that summer or if he had made that trade for yeah. Brad Richards? The summer of Dave. <laughs> Instead, he got fired right after the season. What could have happened? Uh, it is uh, Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. When we come back, uh, thought on Elias Pettersson and uh, also... Uh, we start to preview the Eastern Conference Final. Igor versus Vasi. Where do the Canes go next? And is the Bruins' window closed? That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned VC company helping local business since 1892. 
If you missed uh, hour one of the show, you would have heard uh, Sat giving um, some thoughts on some underserved Canucks prospects. Maybe underserved is the wrong word. Uh, some un- uncovered yeah. some thoughts on some uh, Canucks prospects from this most recent draft class. I'd agree that they just haven't been getting an- enough shine. And just yeah. more about, hey, let's talk about their development, where they're at. And had the Canucks, if the Canucks had a bigger, deeper prospect system, we'd be talking about these guys as, hey, interesting side note, guys. But because of where the Canucks are, they find themselves thrust in the forefront of their prospect pool. Uh, it's now up available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Our thoughts on some of the top five prospects in the Canucks pool. The New York Rangers and Sam Cosentino joined us as well to uh, take a look at the first round of the NHL draft. So, um, I, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it today, mm-hmm. Sat, but um, I, I just noticed, like, scrolling through Twitter, this picture of Elias Pettersson oh, yes. and his shaved head. And, like, he looks... I don't know. To me, he kind of looks like he's a Best Buy employee or something. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. It, it looks like he, he's about to greet you walking yeah, into a store. like he's going to try and sell me an Apple MacBook or, or, or a TV. Yes. You know? Do you, need, do you need help finding these headphones? <laughs> or like a gaming laptop, you as know? A, as a former Best Buy employee, I don't know if I should be offended by this. <laughs> no, I don't think it's about being offended. It's just like what, what you look like. Yeah. You know, okay. it has, has have the vest on, you know what I mean? Okay, wait. I, I have a... Like, Youngish. Josh, you're like 22 and you've worked everywhere. <laughs> I've worked at three places. Okay. But, uh, just McDonald's Best and Best Buy has to be uh, happen to be them. Yeah. Okay. So I have lots of uh, retail and fast food experience. So at Best Buy, you don't get commission though, right? No. So does future that make shop you did? Yes. Best Buy does not. No. Yes. Mm. If you, does Future Shop exist anymore? No. No. That's why it doesn't exist. Right. Because no more commissions. Just does that make you work by? It got eaten yeah. up by Best Buy. They just bought it out. Does that make you more lazy? Yes. Okay. I would have worked way harder if I was commission. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Like, hey, oh, I have sales incentive. Sure. <laughs> I'll be annoying now. Yes. Let me uh, bother this Karen over here. Um, but it, it was just kind of funny. Like, why do people have so many thoughts on Elias Pettersson's haircut? Well, because he because he like shaved his head almost. Like he didn't. No, he didn't. You never scalp got a buzz it. cut in your life. No, I know, but it, it was just like a shocking look. And because yeah. he's kind of you know he's yeah he's he has a more pale constitution. Yes, it just was a bit more jarring seeing him <laughs> that way. <laughs> I miss but, the days of just getting a buzz cut. It doesn't really suit my big fat head, so. Yeah, I mean, last time I, I shaved my head was a basketball trip Yeah, in high school. Went to the island, and we just decided to just, like, all of us shave our heads to be more intimidating <laughs> at the tournament. <laughs> Were you actually more intimidating? No, we lost. It was like a little Giants type of experiment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, let's see right now, like a bunch of, yeah, like, nah. I will say this, though. Um, the business that Elias Patterson is supporting is interesting. Is it? Yeah. Tell me about it. So uh, I actually, and, and kudos, speaking of kudos, um, part Phil on Twitter, one of our listeners who was just listening to the last segment and chimed in too on Twitter, uh, I saw the post and I saw him put out a tweet um, explaining the business. So it's a circular business, circular business model with environmental benefits. Rockle Oil Sweden, Sweden is uh, revolutionizing Swedish industry's use of industrial oils and the business concept is based on a unique and sustainable technology as well as circular business model that brings the company's customers significant gains financially, environmentally, and in terms of quality. 
the products, the production, heating of the premises, and electricity that they use is 100% fossil free. Industrial waste heat is used for heating and production. So that's the business. It sounds like a environmentally smart, friendly business. It sounds like a smart thing to be investing in. It's also good for the environment. It's his, it's his dad's in oh. business. So him and his brother are investors. Okay. Yeah. But you see, this is why I love our listeners, yeah. especially on like half the time, they'll find this stuff out and post it. So uh, there's there's more to the story there than just yes. Elias Pettersson has a shaved head. Yes, Elias <laughs> Pettersson didn't just decide to work at Best Buy and shave his head. Um, there's more to the story. Okay, so now you know. This is this is why you listen to Canuck Central, <laughs> among other things. I I would hope. Um, did have uh, quite a few thoughts coming in uh, at the uh, on Twitter as well as uh, on the Dunbar Lumber text line about the. Um, Carolina Hurricanes, Phil, uh, saying, I wonder if the Hurricanes could use a punchy player like Miller. Mm-hmm. And I look at the Hurricanes, Sat, and we talked a little bit about it with Frank Saravalli. They're just missing something, you know? And even last night, like Rob Brindamore, to me, seemed a little bit too comfortable with losing again against a team they should have beaten. That's spicy. I like that. So you're putting this on the feet of well, Rob he was Brindamore. basically like, uh, we had a great first period, but we're down two nothing, and then you know it kind of kind of just got away from us from there. It's like really that's that's your excuse. <laughs> you're the guy who's like the super motivator here in Carolina. No wonder this isn't working out. Rob Brindamore's got this great reputation. I think he's a great coach, but like I, I don't know, get angry at your team. Sure, oh we played well, we won the Corsi battle. Well, like you got to win the game. You know, I get your analytics are great, and and you felt like you had a strong first period. You're down two nothing at the end of the first period. Fix your penalty kill. Yes. If you don't like being down two nothing at the end of the first period, where you gave up two power play goals, fix your power play that couldn't even get a chance against Igor Shesterkin there in that first period. I I mean, I don't know. People like make this big deal about the Leafs always coming up short and and not being angry enough about their situation, but. How is Carolina really any different? Because they, they won at least a playoff round a few okay, times. Okay, fair enough. But the playoff, <laughs> you win a playoff round, that's great. You still didn't win the cup. Like, no, fa- fair at enough. At the end of the day, you're still falling short. Hey, they did fall short. And I'm not enamored with that team and how they play. Like, I see flaws in how they're built. And so that aspect of it, the Brindamore side of it, I mean, I, I do, I, I don't view it the same way you did. I think it's spicy, though, and it's fantastic. But because what happened with their goaltending? Freddie Anderson's a starter, he gets injured. Andy oh, Ranta, big shocker. Like, right. ask the Leafs about Freddie 100%. Anderson staying healthy. 100%. Antti Ranta goes in, but then he gets hurt in Game 7. Oh, shocker. Look at Antti Ranta's career history. But my <laughs> point is he got hurt. I mean, that game, what, what is Broad Brindamore supposed to do? They played fairly well, go down 2-0. You're still in the game, and then your, your, your second string, your third string goalie comes in, gets scored on right away. And They're already losing. I know, but you're down three, but it's over. over then. I mean, yeah. two-goal lead is nothing in today's NHL. It's not, it was during the first period. They're still in the game. Like, you still had a chance in the game. But as soon as Ranta went down, like, and I picked the Rangers to win. I didn't, I wanted the Rangers to win. But as soon as Ranta goes down, the game's done. And at that point, it doesn't really, it, it's over. And as soon as he, that third goal went in, you could just see the Carolina Hurricanes like, yeah, we're not getting it done tonight. Some like, look, Carolina's got a really good hockey team. Sebastian Ajo, Tara Vinen, um, I've got all the time in the world for Jakob Slavin and what he brings and Brett Pesce. I think he's a great defenseman. Overall, they're well-built. They don't have too many onerous contracts. Maybe Kokinemi ends up being that. But 
you know, there is just a, it just feels like there's a ceiling on what this team can be if they don't retain a Dougie Hamilton or go out and make the big splash to try and put this team over the top. Like their big splash last year was Yasperi Kokinemi, who's at best a third line center right now in his career. Well, I'm, I think uh, Sebastian Ajo is an elite level talent and I think Svechnikov has that potential too. On the back end, you're right. They lost Dougie Hamilton who was. And for all their to all the credit they deserve for finding value and finding good players. Is there a ceiling on that? That's my question. There the is, because unless you hit home runs on just finding elite level talent high in the draft, like how are you finding elite talent? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you can find value and find good players, but unless you somehow pull a rabbit out of a hat, unless you make the trade like you did when you traded Lindholm and Hannafin and got Dougie Hamilton, and then you sign and keep the player, but they've, they've shown a reluctance to want to keep, pay elite players. Even the Aho thing, they weren't, comfortable paying him until uh, Montreal made the offer sheet and they ended up matching it. So ultimately, is that going to get in your yeah. way at some point? Because you need that. And the other thing is, they got too petty this offseason, I thought. Mm-hmm. Especially with the Colt Kenny thing. Um, I get you want to pay them back, but to trade a first round pick and a third and then give them $6 million, and then you sign them to an eight-year contract and now you are you have that hanging over your team and he was barely playing in this series, and I know you have time to figure it out, and you can still get better. But a lot of problems here for yeah. that team all of a sudden, and they have commitments all of a sudden. And even Tony D'Angelo, like as good as he was, is he a guy they want to bring back after he lost his temper again in the postseason? He was a non-factor against the Rangers, didn't help on the power play again. Like, is that a guy you want to pay and bring back? He's a regular season player for me. Um, that's a team that's going to be asking a lot of a lot of tough questions for itself. And you know, like honestly, to part Phil's point who uh, was messaging you on Twitter. Yeah. They need a JT Miller type. Mm-hmm. And hey, they've got a lot, enough uh, players to do it. Ethan Bear, uh, interesting, maybe maybe not in a Miller trade, but like an interesting target for a lot of teams was on the outside looking in for the for the Hurricanes. They have a crunch on the right side, especially with D'Angelo coming in yeah. and Brett Pesce and all those guys. So I find if they let D'Angelo go, then maybe your best move is keep Ethan Bear and see if he can fill a role for you. Um, all right. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. Uh, we're going to bring you the Oilers and Avalanche here on Sports at 650 coming up at 5 o'clock tomorrow. Tampa Bay Lightning looking to make it yet again to the Stanley Cup final. Continue the three-peat. The one team standing in their way to a third consecutive Stanley Cup final appearance is the New York Rangers. It is Andre Vasilevsky versus Igor Shesterkin. Artemi Panarin against Nikita Kucherov. There's a lot of good Russians in this series. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers right now at playnow.com. 260 on the money line to win the series. 150, so quite a bit of juice on the Tampa Bay Lightning as heavy favorites going in after sweeping away the Florida Panthers. Yeah, and as much as... So I picked the Oilers to beat the Avalanche because, yep. hey, part of it I mentioned, hey, there's so much more value on the line, but I actually think they have a good chance of winning that series. Like If I had to if I had to break it down, I think there's a 55% chance Colorado wins, 45% chance Edmonton wins. But if it's that close, I'm picking Edmonton to win the series. Yeah. And that's where I kind of find it at. Now, this series, I'd love to get, get spicy 
and pick the Rangers, I just don't see it. I don't see this pathway the same way I see it for the Colorado, uh, see it for the Oilers against the Avalanche. So the one thing that really stood out to me in the series against Carolina was the speed of the Rangers. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that the Tampa Bay Lightning do have some trouble with. Yeah, but we didn't really see it against Florida. Didn't see it against the Leafs. Well, at times against the at Leafs. At times they struggled with it against the Leafs. But, you know, as uh, people have talked about, their 1-3-1 neutral zone setup has really kind of been something that slows teams down yeah. and gets them to play the game at the pace that they would like to play it at. We'll see if the Rangers are going to find a way to bypass it, but I just... I don't I don't see enough talent throughout this Rangers lineup to go up against the Tampa Bay Lightning and they're not realistically they're not facing Kachetkov and Louis Domingue uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they have played a better team game in the postseason and they did play a better team game down the stretch and we spoke to Arthur Staple and other New York reporters about this at the end of the year and into the postseason. So they are playing better as a team. But their overall team game defensively is not good enough no. to stop Tampa Bay. And their speed and their offensive game isn't quite good enough or as good as even Tampa, I mean, sorry, Florida or Toronto. So they're going to be coming at Tampa in waves the way those teams did and have as much sustained pressure. They're not going to be able to do that, I don't think, outside of you know one line getting going at times and having stretches. They're not going to have as much territorial advantage, I don't think. Their advantage is goaltending. But then you have Tampa, you have Vasilevsky. So that's where it kind of goes out. So I, th I think this can be a spicy series. Maybe go six six games. Heck, maybe even somehow it gets to seven. But it just there they, there isn't enough for me to see the Rangers somehow winning this series unless injuries prop up for Tampa. Um, that is the series line for the New York Rangers. Uh, you could still get in on the series with Edmonton playing three dollars on the money line. Against the Colorado Avalanche, that game is coming up in just a few moments. So, um, one final thing I wanted to get to, Sat, before we end the show today. Brad Marchand is out six months with hip surgery. Mm -hmm. That is uh, always a major red flag. Yeah. Um, hips are very important yes. for a hockey player. <laughs> Newsflash. Newsflash. Hips matter. Bruins uh, still uh, unsure of what will happen with Patrice Bergeron. Um, are the Bruins done? Like, is their window pretty much closing as we speak? It is definitely closing. I don't know if it's close to being shut, though. Mm. A lot of it does hinge on Brad Marchand and how he recovers, but he's not locked in long-term either. No. So there is some flexibility about the money and where it's going to go. But this is a team that's making commitments yeah. to a lot of players. So it's not a tear-it-down team. I mean, you have Pasternak where you have to sign, but he's too young and too good for you to let him go. It's just traded for Lindholm and signed him to a long deal. Yeah. You have Charlie McAvoy. You have Brandon Carlo. You have other guys. That's a team that's going to go through a retool, I think, this offseason. The trading for Lindholm is kind of the scary one. You know, look, they've been all in. They've been a really good team. They've been over 100 points. Eastern Conference is just an absolute juggernaut. So, you know, they haven't had a lot of playoff success lately. But to me, Sat, this would be a team that I uh, I go full-on rebuild. But the thing is, like, full-on rebuild, you can trade Lindholm. I guess you could. But you, just, you just acquired him. You're not trading Charlie McAvoy. You're not trading Pasternak. So are you trading Marchand as soon as he gets healthy? 
Oh, you trade Pasternak a year away from unrestricted free agency? You're going to trade 26-year-old David Pasternak? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. If you're going to go rebuild. Yeah, but if you're going rebuild, like... Well, what do you have? You have no centers on this team, Sad. Like, if they lose Bergeron, they've literally got nobody playing center. Going Thomas s- Noshik is, the, is now their number one center. What, are they going to go get Kadri? Go and throw money at Philip Forsberg and make him play center. Like, <laughs> like, like he can. I'm, I don't care. Just make anybody play center. Just figure it out. <laughs> no, but my point being, like, I'm not trading David Pasternak. Yeah. He's 26. If he was 28, 29, same as JT, you're kind of like, he's... Well, he's you one of the best him. goal scorers in the league. He is. You know how hard it is to find? He's 26. Is he as good a goal scorer if he doesn't have Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand to play with? Maybe not as good, but is he still cresting 30? Yeah. Yeah. He's a really good hockey player. Mm-hmm. And even if you sign him to an eight-year extension, he's going to be 34 when it ends. Yeah. We're not talking about a guy who's going to be signed to his late 30s. He's too good. David, like, to me, if you're trading one of those guys in their 20s... It's gonna be so hard to replace them. Yeah, so hard to replace those guys. Uh, it would uh, it would be fascinating to tear that team down and see uh, see where you could go because look, they've got Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo all kind of coming at their heels. Tampa, Florida, Toronto are clearly ahead of them in that Atlantic division. Like, yeah, you can keep Pasternak. Are you gonna be any good, anyways? Mm-hmm. Uh, McAvoy is one of the best young right shot D men in the league, but they also have a ton of money coming up after next season. They have to wait it out one year. And then next year they have about twenty five million in cap space. Yeah. I wonder how they feel about Brandon Carlo. You like yeah. Brandon Carlo? Um, I like him at a cost. Yeah. But, I mean you got I mean you got three defensemen who are twenty eight and younger, and even Gresley, like twenty eight and younger, signed for the next two to six years. Um Boston is an interesting target for JT or OEL trades. That's uh, Mitch and Victoria. Uh, they traded for Lindholm. They're not trading for OEL. Yeah, I, I mean, the OEL thing, what you would have to do is takes like Charlie Coyle's contract back. Yep. Or something. They have no cap space. You got to take money back. Mm-hmm. Got to take money back. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm uh, touching 30-year-old Charlie Coyle <laughs> at $5.25 million for four years. Any any OEL trade is would be tough for the Vancouver Canucks, not to mention his uh, no-move clause. All right, uh, quick thought before we go. I believe intern Ben has done his homework. The ongoing storyline closes today. Intern Ben, would you like to be Spider? Absolutely not. (laughs) No one wants to be Spider. No chance. Nobody wants to be Spider. I'm just busting your you-know-what. So you watched Goodfellas? I watched it last night. Yeah. You invested the the two plus hours. Well, I felt pretty bad yesterday on the show being called out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, man. You listen. That's the thing about live radio. Yeah, we'll go there. <laughs> and then my dad was like, "You got to watch the show. Yeah, you, you got to watch. Got to watch the flick." Has your dad watched it? He's watched it. What did he? What does he think of it? He thinks it's legend. He thinks Godfather's better though. Okay, well, oh. that's fair. That's all right. I think so too. But you know, it was, it was good. It was not a waste of two and a half hours. Definitely yeah. not. It's a ride, man. It it's a ride. Good. Goodfellas is one of the best movies around. The Shine Box. It's great. Go get your Shine Box. <laughs> There's so many things I would like to like quote, but um, it's hard. Please of... don't. Yes. <laughs> We're almost at the end of the show. Don't get us canceled. A lot now. of things that are offside. Uh, all right. So intern Ben. Uh, I use you? you get a... Funny how. <laughs> you get a slow clap for doing your homework three days late. <laughs> at least it's done. Yes. At least it's done. Good job. Good effort. <laughs> uh, eventually. Better late than never, I yeah. guess. Who's your favorite character? Pesci? Yeah. Henry Hill? I, I go with Henry, actually. I mean, yeah. it's, it's classic, but the yeah. storyline about him, what he went through, 
Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun to follow along. The scene is still my favorite. Nothing like I don't know why, but like slicing garlic. The, the slicing garlic of Polly is just with a razor and an actual razor blade. <laughs> yeah, and it's so thin. When they're setting that whole thing up, I'm like, this this seems like a great afternoon to me. You know, <laughs> go to jail, <laughs> have dinner, making a bunch of food, <laughs> hanging out with the boys. You know, they got the football game on or what? Sounds like a perfect Sunday. It's the opening scene for me. That really got my attention. Yeah, the like, opening scene. Wow. Yeah, here, it's, it's, here we go. Pretty aggressive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. For producer Josh Elliott Wolf, Ben Turn, who finally did his homework, my co host Satyar Shaw. I'm Dan Riccio. The Oilers and Colorado Avalanche, game one of the Western Conference final, is next on Sportsnet 650.